And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. Most of y'all probably have heard those famous words, maybe in different wording, swaddling clothes or no room in the end. But, but I bet probably a lot of you have heard that. Well, that was penned by a Greek physician some 60 years after Jesus uh, was born. And um, he was a man whose name was Luke. Uh, he became a follower of Jesus through the teaching and influence of a man named Paul. And Luke was um, moved uh, to want to write a detailed account of the life of Jesus. And in this account, if you read it, you will see that he wrote that the reason why he did this was so that those who would read this would, and I quote him, be certain of the truths of, of, of everything that you have been taught. That you can be certain of the truths of everything that you've been taught about Jesus. And so this Greek physician was very meticulous to use eyewitness um, accounts of Jesus' life. Those who would have known Jesus, those who would have lived with Jesus, and therefore they would have heard Jesus, they would have seen Jesus. Uh, people like his disciples who lived with Jesus every single day for three years during the pinnacle of his, of his ministry, and probably even people within Jesus' own family, like his brother James or his mother Mary. And so when we read this account, we're reading it from a man who's collected those eyewitness accounts so that way you can be certain of the truths about everything about Jesus Christ. You can be certain about that. And so when we look at the birth of Jesus... What we see is something really interesting. First of all, more than likely, Luke must have gotten this as far as eyewitness accounts from the person who was there to be able to pass it down to him, which was Mary. And in this account of Jesus being born there in a small little village and in, in kind of back in a stable um, and laid in that manger, when you look at it, for the most part, it's pretty quiet, uneventful. Now, there's no doubt that while they're there in the stable, that every once in a while somebody would come out of the blue and tell them about this incredible you know, experience that they had about learning about this, this child, like the shepherds way out in the fields, or you know, marginalized you know, shepherds, or you know, people coming from the east, like the wise men. But for the most part, right there, there's really not much going on there. It's pretty quiet. Not a lot of fanfare. And that is exactly how God wanted it. Now, it's interesting to think about God who can do whatever he wants to do. He chooses to do whatever he wants to do. He has all the power and authority to do whatever he wants. You know, you would think that, well, why wouldn't he come into this world with just this epic global pyrotechnic display of his, his might and his greatness? Why did he come into this world just really kind of under the radar in a small little village to this one little couple here. You know, there's not much going on. There's no Christmas lights, no Christmas trees. There's no Mariah Carey singing carols to baby Jesus. And I think that if we had the ability to time travel, I think if we would have gone 2,000 years ago, I think we would be kind of surprised that the reality of our experience would be very different than what we had imagined in our own minds about that whole period of time. You know, there would not be some kind of beaming from the, from the, you know, the roof 
spotlight down into the little manger. There would be no glowing child. There would just be four, you know, just be like a five, six, seven pound little baby boy, newborn boy with a very young couple that I'm sure in a lot of ways feeling insecure as first-time parents. But that's what God chose. So the question is, is why did God choose to come into this world that way? There's probably multiple reasons for that, but I believe that one of the reasons and one maybe one of the more significant reasons is that God came in this world that way because coming into this world wasn't really about God. You know the saying, you've probably heard the saying, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? And that's true. Jesus is the reason for the season. But did you know you are the reason he was born? You are the reason he was born. Not just generically for the you all. No, you individually, you specifically, he was born for you. Or as St. Augustine, or like we like to call him down here, St. Augustine said 1,100 years before they named the oldest city in America after him, he said this, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. God loves you as if it was just you. He loves you. God was born, came into this world for you. Now, he wasn't just born, right? Like that was some kind of cool, epic thing. God can do whatever he wants. To become a man isn't like, you know, the hardest thing in the world for him. There's a purpose and the reason why he was born. God became man. He was born for you to die for you, to give up his life for you. In order to mend the broken relationship that we had caused before a perfect, holy, righteous God, because none of us are perfect, you know, God decided and desired and chose to, um, to mend the animosity between broken man, self-centered man, and a perfect, holy, righteous God. Instead of judging us and punishing us, he took the punishment out on Jesus Christ. Basically took the punishment out on himself for you because he loves you that much. And so when we think about the love of God, when I think about the love of God, I think about one person in particular who, who wrote a lot about the love of God. He's is is an individual who understood deeply and profoundly how much God loves and how much God loves him. It's that same individual I mentioned earlier who God used to change Luke's life forever, Paul. Paul understood how much God loves us and how deeply God loves. God, Paul understood how much God loves him. Now, if you don't know Paul's story, maybe you've heard of St. Paul or the cathedral called, you know, St. Paul's Cathedral. Maybe you think that, well, he understands God's love because God loves him because he's St. Paul, because, you know, he's a religious goody-goody. If you don't know his story, you probably don't know that there was a time in Paul's life that he hated Jesus. He hated Jesus. He hated anybody who followed Jesus. He was fine with anybody who followed Jesus, any Christian, to be killed. He was fine with any followers of Jesus to be kicked out of their place of worship. He was fine with um, people who followed Jesus to be thrown in jail, 
to be torn apart from their family. He hated Jesus so much that he was willing to go hundreds of miles to hunt down Christians to throw them into jail. That's how much he hated Jesus. And then he met Jesus. And standing before Jesus, in the moment of recognition of all the injustice that he had done to all these innocent people of God, I bet, I wonder if he was thinking he's about time to meet his judgment. Kind of a funny way, he did meet his judgment. His judgment was Jesus, that Jesus took on his judgment for him. He met grace and forgiveness right there in front of him. He met the love of God. I hated you, I persecuted your people, and you loved me, Jesus? That's right. I even died for you. That's right. Changed his life. That's why Paul is one of the most influential people in human history. His life changed. And so he would go on and share to anybody he possibly can about this amazing, incredible love of God. Later on, he wrote this letter to a group of Christians in this ancient town of Ephesus, which is kind of modern-day Turkey. And he wrote this letter. And through this letter, you see so much of just this passion from this man who experienced the love of God, who just really desires for other people to experience the same love that he had experienced. And in this letter, he starts off this letter. He, after he gives kind of his, his hellos, he starts off this le- his letter by just praising God. And he says... All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without faults in his holy, pristine, perfect eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to him through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Isn't it interesting that God of the universe chose, of all the choices in the world, he chose to come into this world through a family to make us a family. To bring us together as a family, as God is our Father, so that as his good pleasure to lavish his love, his grace, his wisdom unto his children. That's love. Paul's thinking about these things, it's almost like mind blown. Boom! By which he goes on and he says, So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us with all wisdom and understanding. God chose to to give us and to bless us with every spiritual blessing. God chose us to unite us with Christ. God chose to love us. God chose to, to sacrifice His son, Jesus Christ, just look at us without any fault. He chose to to adopt us. He chose to pour out his grace upon us. He chose to be rich in his kindness to us. That's what our God chooses. But here's the thing. I think it's important for us to think through. 
relationships are only as strong as the two people choose it to be. Is that right? Relationships are only as strong as two people choose it to be. You can love somebody, right? You can love somebody so much, but if they don't love you in return, what kind of relationship is that? It's not really a relationship. And so it is with God. But here's the thing. It's not about whether God loves you or not. He loves you a ton. He chooses to love you lavishly. The question is, will you choose to receive it? Will you choose to to love him in return? Because here's the thing. You are as close to God as you want to be. Because he's already here. He's Emmanuel. It's your move. It's your choice. He gives you that choice. He's already made his choice. He chooses to love you. Around 900 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem, a different person was born in Bethlehem, not without a lot of fanfare. During when this guy was getting a little bit older, uh, there was a transition that was going on in the, in the nation of Israel, and, and God was transitioning to a new king. And so God sent this one man to Bethlehem to basically choose the next king of Israel. And as this guy comes into Bethlehem, he sees a guy, and he looks at the guy, and he goes, that must be a king because that guy looks like a king. And God goes, no, 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 no. God does not look at the appearance as man does. God looks at the heart. God was seeking a man after his own heart because it's always been about relationships. God was going to anoint someone who would choose a relationship with him. And he found his man. And that man was David. David was the the most famous of all the Israelite kings until the king of kings was born 900 years after him in the city of David in Bethlehem. David spent his life seeking the Lord, enjoying the Lord, trusting the Lord, learning from the Lord. And through his experiences, he wrote these words. David said, those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who seek you. Coming from his experiences as if he was saying, you know what, I sought the Lord and he never abandoned me. As I began to know the Lord and get to know him, because that's what it means to know his name, is to know him intimately. The more I begin to know God, the more I begin to realize that he's trustworthy, that he's good, that he's wise, that he cares. So on this Christmas, when we think about Christmas and we think about birthdays and the birth of Christ, and we think about what in the world would a person who's born or whose birthday it is, what would they want for their birthday? We know what God wants. We know what Christ would want for his birthday. It's you. The Oxford intellectual and author C.S. Lewis once said, God doesn't want anything from us. He just wants us. Just wants you. So what would Jesus want for his birthday? You. He's already made his choice. The question is, what do we choose? To move in, to lean in, 
to strengthen that relationship with him, to start that relationship with him. And I believe that if you do that, from my own experience and from what I believe that Lewis would say, that Augustine would say, that Paul would say, that Luke would say, that Mary would say, that David would say, that you would find that your Lord and Savior is trustworthy. He will not abandon you. Father, thank you so much for loving us. And that was your choice. God, you did not have to come into this world. That was your choice. You did not have to die. That was your choice. You don't have to have a relationship with us. That is your choice. God, I thank you so much that you made that choice. And I thank you so much that you've given us the choice to know you and to experience your kindness and your grace. Father, I pray for anybody in here who has never made that choice that this would be the beginning of an amazing relationship that would change their lives forever. Move in their hearts. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.